Welcome to the National Vaccine Information Center's State Vaccine Laws and Exemptions podcast series. These podcasts are from previously recorded and referenced commentaries and articles produced by MVIC, a charitable nonprofit organization. Hello, Fisher, co-founder and president of the nonprofit charity, the National Vaccine Information Center. And today, Don Richardson, who is MVIC's director of advocacy, and I will be talking about the vaccine-related bills that were introduced into state legislatures in the U.S. in 2022. It's been another record year in terms of the numbers of bills that MVIC has monitored through our online advocacy portal that Don created and MVIC launched in 2010 to protect the informed consent rights of all Americans when it comes to vaccination. Now today we are publishing our annual report on uh, U.S. state vaccine legislation. And this is a big one. It's 27 pages, chock full of facts and graphs and information on the nearly 900 vaccine related bills that uh, were monitored through the MBIC advocacy portal. Many of those bills uh, focused on whether or not residents would be required to get COVID shots in order to have a job, hold a job, go to school or otherwise participate in society. So Don, tell us what happened on the ground in the states this year as lawmakers were pressured by the forced vaccination lobby to mandate a product that they call a vaccine and I call a cell disruptor biological that does not prevent infection with and transmission of the SARS-CoV-2 virus a product that still has not been licensed by the FDA for use in children under the age of 12, and a product that has generated more than 1.3 million reports of adverse events to the federal vaccine adverse event reporting system since it was distributed in December 2020 under an emergency use authorization. Well, Barbara, I'm so glad we're getting the opportunity to talk about what occurred because I'm so proud of what we've done at NVIC to maintain the course. The same thing that we've done every single year where we're getting educational information out on our website, nvic.org, and then about all the bills on nvicadvocacy.org. We've done a tremendous job and we've had a lot of good people out there that have been with us and following our information over the years. They're educated, they're speaking to their legislators, but we also have welcomed so many new people into our community. They've been fed up with what's going on and they've woken up and they've been looking for reliable, accurate, and easy to use information. And that's what we provide on nbicadvocacy.org and nbic.org. You can get all this information right at your fingertips for free. We're a 501c3 nonprofit organization. And Looking at what's happened this year, you really almost have to go back to when the whole pandemic started in 2020. And our first jump in vaccine-related bills really happened. It kind of went off the chart in 2021. And we had more than almost more than double the previous year. But then 
we had special sessions come up in the end of 2021. A lot of states were still trying to deal with the fact that constituents were calling their legislators and their jobs were on the line. They were going to have to choose between injecting themselves with a vaccine they didn't want or didn't need that wasn't thoroughly tested, that there were still a lot of questions out and keeping their jobs and feeding their families. And they were not happy about it. We had a lot of people that had never engaged with legislators before engaging for the first time and they were looking for information. So some legislatures even responded with special sessions. And then we came up to the 2022 legislative session. And like you had said, we had a record number of bills, 875 that we posted on the portal. We monitored over, well over a thousand, but these are the ones that we tracked on the portal. And we issued positions, analysis. We talked about what actions you need to take as the bills move through the legislative process. Sometimes we issued emergency action alerts. We issued text alerts. We did everything we could to get the information out there to empower our supporters to contact their legislators about these bills. And like you said, a lot of them dealt with COVID. And to no, you know, to nobody's surprise, that that was the case. And it wasn't just because citizens and and constituents were contacting their legislators they were seeing what was going on too and they were concerned a lot of this it was almost like it came together where the people were contacting their legislators and they were waking up at the same time so just to go through a few takeaway points from this session and there's going to be a lot more detail in this report you're going to want to go look at it there's information about individual states and but we're just going to give you the highlights today but one good piece of news that came out of this session is that not a single state passed a covid-19 vaccine mandate in any capacity the only location that passed a mandate for children, school children, was the District of Columbia. But even there, just this week, they passed a bill to delay the implementation of that because there's a lot of questions. And even the chair of the committee said that they may end up, they should look at scrapping it all together. They see that the writing's on the wall here. Well, you know, before you, before I just thought when you were talking, before you go into the the detail, you know, I think it's important to make clear that MBIC does not make and never has made vaccine use recommendations. We do not tell people to vaccinate or not to vaccinate because we are an information clearinghouse and we advocate for the ethical principle of informed consent. So over the years, we have worked, since 1982, we have worked with families, and healthcare professionals and lawmakers to uh, protect, defend, and in some cases secure flexible medical, religious, and conscientious belief vaccine exemptions in existing public health policies and laws. But what's happened over the years is it's become very clear uh, that this lobby, this forced vaccination lobby, is, is absolutely committed to forcing everyone to use every federally recommended vaccine. And here, since 2020, we have this product, as I said, can't really be called a vaccine, but it is labeled a vaccine and they are trying to, to make everyone take it, even though most of the time it's under an emergency use authorization. Well, certainly for the children under age 12. So that kind of sets the stage for why 
over the years, we've educated legislators about the need to prevent informed consent rights and why this year when they were faced with this decision, should they mandate the vaccine, this, this product for all of their residents, there was a lot of pushback. It was because there's been a process of education over the years, especially the last decade through the MSDNC portal. Absolutely. And, you know, to your point, another fact from this session is that not a single vaccine was mandated this session, even outside of COVID in the state legislatures. The mandates that were added were done through either administrative rule, through any kind of maybe executive or administrative order, public health order, but the state legislators were not going to put any vaccines mandated, no meningitis, no hepatitis B, no HPV, no hep A, no influenza. The closest thing, Delaware, I believe, passed a bill that would allow individual long-term care nursing home type facilities to mandate. So it kind of gave them cover if they wanted to, but did not require them. So there wasn't a single mandate passed in the state legislatures in addition to COVID. So, so a lot of people don't know we are a constitutional Republic. Mm -hmm. Anything not uh, defined in the Constitution as a federal activity defaults to the states. Public health laws are by and large state laws, which is why there are 50 states with different kinds of vaccine laws, which is why, because we have this sort of local, state, and federal government structure under the U.S. Constitution, we, unlike other countries, were able to, at the state level, stop COVID vaccine mandates. That's in contrast to the, the other countries that have only the federal government or a you know centralized government making those decisions. This is this is key. Everybody needs to understand how important it is to protect states' rights. And in this case, certainly the right of the states to be the ones to decide whether or not a vaccine product is going or a pharmaceutical product is going to be mandated. Absolutely. And I think that it's worthwhile to remind people that what you see in mainstream media and what your experience is through social media is not reality. It's not what's going on out there. And that's why this report is it's really an historic reference okay. to this point in time. Your involvement makes a difference. Those who want to main control, maintain control and profits don't want you to know that. No. And the narrative, the press releases, the manipulation of the articles, all are pointing towards your voice doesn't matter. Yeah. But it absolutely does matter. And before I mention a few more of these points, I just want to show people for a second how much of a difference it mattered this past session. Out of the 875 bills that we tracked on the NBIC advocacy portal, 475 of them were bills that we gave a support a support position to. That meant that the principle or what the the, the points in the bill aligned with NVIC's mission, and we were able to give it a support. Now, of those other bills, we only had 186 that we had to flat out oppose, and there were 200 and something. I think it was. 214 bills that we put as a watch position. And when we designate on the portal 
a bill is to be watched. It means that there may be good provisions in there that are worth supporting, but there are others that we're not going to swallow and say we're okay with these passing because they're either infringing on someone's rights or they're or they're going against something in our mission with informed consent or or something else. So oftentimes on those bills, we'll put in our analysis what you can tell your legislators to do to the bill to make it so that we can move our position to support it. We even had staff and legislators contacting us this year saying, what can we do to this bill so that you support it? Our support was important to them. And that's just been something that we've developed these relationships over the years. And it's thanks to all of you out there that have represented this issue well and have spoken to your legislators, been respectful, been kind, been professional and not gotten off. It can be very easy to get off track and get frustrated, but by and large, our people have been so good communicating with their legislators. And so looking at those numbers, 475 to 186, the ratio of support to oppose bills is over two and a half. This is only our second year of being doing these reports that we have been able to show that there have been more bills where we surpass more bills that we support than we oppose. And as a matter of fact, 32 states out of the states of the United States had bills that we had more bills supported than we opposed. Nine states, because, you know, they didn't have any, they weren't in session or a few states that weren't in session or that, um, or I'm sorry, nine states had only support bills. That's amazing. You know, that's almost 20%. That's almost one, you know, one fifth of the states. We only had five states in the United States that had more bills that we opposed than we supported. That's historic. That's Which amazing. states were those, Don? Those states, I'll be able to tell you here in just a second, the five states that, let's see, there's two states. Okay. The um, California, Hawaii, Massachusetts, New York, and Pennsylvania were the only states that had more bills that we opposed than we supported. And the District of Columbia had all their bills that we opposed, but 32 states had more bills filed that we supported than we opposed. That's tremendous. Uh, That's that is absolutely phenomenal. It is historic. <laughs> there is This is a seismic change from even five years ago uh, I, I believe that, I, and I've said this before in the last two years, they have made a huge mistake. Mm-hmm. The public health, I call it the public health empire now, has, has absolutely made a mistake in using a hammer, heavy-handed approach to this COVID pandemic response that they have orchestrated. So many people have awakened to the real issues about uh, mandatory vaccination laws and all the work that was done up until this point in the legislature through the portal and through working with other groups and individuals who are who have awakened uh, and, and are carrying our information and working with us in, at the state level has, has totally changed the landscape. And I do not believe they will recover from this mistake they made for a long, long time, if ever. I think that it, it is it is 2023 is going to be interesting. It's not going to be easy because they're not going to give up. But boy, we have made huge inroads. 
That, I, I, I completely agree. Um, going back to your question about, you know, what really happened with COVID, the majority of the bills that passed that relate to COVID, of course, we cover a lot of other topics, but the majority of the bills that passed were passed to protect liberty. So, you know, those, we just talked about all the bills that were filed. We can talk about bills that were actually passed. Um, 28 bills passed that specifically named COVID-19 related disease control measures, but 23 of them had provisions specifically prohibiting COVID-19 mandates or passports and protected informed consent rights. So 23 out of 28 bills that passed really supported what our mission is. And then 20, if you look at 20, I'm, I'm grouping 2021 and 2022 kind of together because it's been this, you know, the initial COVID response and then it just coming into 2022, people are still dealing with the same issues. Yeah. 25 states over the course of 2021 and 2022 uh, have passed bills that also, you know, that they were really protecting um, informed consent rights and no passports, no mandates. And some states have gone back from what they passed in 2021. They made improvements in 2022. So when you look at the subset of those bills, people are very concerned about what just happened at ASIP with the addition of the COVID vaccine for the school children, the younger children. For the, to the recommended CDC recommended child vaccine schedule, which is which is yeah. really the signal to the state health departments and people who are pushing for vaccine mandates to add the COVID vaccine to are, the mandates. But what people don't realize is that between 2021 and 2022, 21 states have already passed a provision either in state law or by executive action they'll have, you know, an executive order by way of the governor that prohibits the state from mandating for any age school children. And there are three states. The COVID that, vaccine. The COVID. the COVID vaccine. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, the COVID vaccine. Uh, 21 states prohibit mandates with the COVID vaccine for school kids flat out outright. And then 21 states, I'm sorry, three states, they only apply to children under 12 because the way those bills were unfortunately written at the beginning of the session, some of these were in 2021, they said for EUA vaccines only. And um, so they kind of exclude, so because the prohibition was for EUA only, and since we don't have any vaccine license for children under 12, for those kids, at least in those three states, and those states are the, let's see if I have the list here. Um, okay, I'm sorry, it's, I'll, I'll come back to that after if we need to, but the, the fact of the matter is almost half of the states can't, right now, there's a law or an executive order in place as a barrier to a health department mandating the COVID vaccine for children. So we have a long way to go. There's 50 states, but but we're we're almost halfway there. So that that was an important fact that I wanted to bring up. The other thing outside of COVID that I wanted people to be aware of, another issue that we were facing this year was an increase in attempts at passing language that would give minor children, children under the age of 18, the ability to consent to vaccines on their own. 
And there were uh, California, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Minnesota, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, Vermont, and Wisconsin, all had bills that tried to add minor consent in some capacity. For children as young as 11, right? Mm -hmm. And so none of them passed. And the biggest victory that I want to bring up, because it involved many, many organizations, many citizens, not only in California, but people just being disgusted across the United States and, and working to contact their friends and family in California to make sure they contacted legislators. But there was a bill, Senate Bill 866, which would have Initially, it would have been younger children, like 12 years old and up, but the pressure uh, caused the bill to be amended in the Senate, where it would apply to 15 years old and up. Well, 15-year-olds are still children, and luckily, that maneuver did not allow the bill to pass, but the California Assembly, in the first time in a very long time, actually put their foot down on this bill and would not let it pass the final vote in the assembly. And so this was a big victory for protecting informed consent rights for parents, parental rights. Um, but we're going to see more of these bills and we need to be ready for it. This notion of that. And I really think this is stemmed from the fact that parents have become more informed. They're asking physicians questions and they don't want to deal with it. And also, they don't have the answers for the questions that are being asked. They well, can't explain away some of the problems. So they're deflecting it and saying, well, let's let the kids make the decision because we can convince the kids even if we can't convince the parents. And so that's what's dangerous about those bills from my standpoint is it really allows doctors to place pressure on minor children, very young children, who the medical literature is quite clear that, that the brain continues to develop, develop into the teenage years. It is that the, the, the minor child is not cognitively capable or emotionally mature enough to make a benefit risk decision. I mean, it's there's all kinds of literature showing that that they're just not capable of doing, having good judgment when it comes to assessing risk. And the fact that these minor consent bills hide from parents, not they, they, they prohibit informing parents that their child has been vaccinated. And so how is the parent supposed to monitor a child for signs and symptoms of a vaccine reaction if they don't know their child has been vaccinated. It's it's so dangerous. It I can't, I don't understand why any lawmaker would put themselves in that position of condoning something like that. Right, and and it goes it goes so far as I would call those bills predatorial because they are actually taking advantage of the fact that children are especially affected by wanting to please their yeah. authority figures. And also peer pressure. If you're the only kid in the class, if you don't have 100% compliance with a certain vaccine, oh, the third grade class, whichever third grade class has all their flu shots first, you get a pizza party. Oh, there's somebody in Mrs. Smith's class that doesn't have the flu vaccine. Mrs. Smith's class not going to get a pizza party this year. This is the kind of stuff that will go on if these are allowed to pass. So it's not just the doctors or the vaccine administrators persuading it's these other entities that have daily contact with the children. As a matter of fact, when a federal district judge uh, McFadden ruled against the DC bill, 
that had passed last year allowing minor consent, the things that really swayed the judge and the decision were some pictures by the plaintiff, one of the ch children, he drew a stick figure with all these arrows of all this pressure, um, you know, just get it, just do it, and these types of comments. And it showed that these kids really are affected when the schools really try and pressure kids to get a vaccine. So it, it goes beyond just the providers. You're gonna it's all coming from this, this bullying and this censorship and this pointing of fingers at people who do not comply with government policy, vaccine policy. This is coming from the very top levels, levels of medical and law journals. It's coming from the top levels of government. It's coming from big tech. You know, it, there's been a huge campaign in the last two years to brand anyone who declines the COVID shot as being a threat to the security of the United States, basically uh, a traitor, you know? And they could it's, not be more off base and wrong with what we're seeing with the stories of people who have had serious reactions, even it's very sad, but there are many instances where people have gone on social media talking about getting the shot and really condemning people who didn't only to come that they've passed away within weeks, days of them getting their shot. And um, it's I'm really glad you brought this up, Barbara, because it's a it's a thought that I've had talking to young people. Young people today are very concerned about taking care of everybody, this community aspect. We are one big community. Our lives are intertwined and we affect each other. That government and and really industry strategy of dividing people is really contrary to our society and our culture where we have all been wanting to take care of each other and to do good. And it's what makes this country one of the greatest countries in the world, but they are attacking that and trying to divide us and trying to turn us on each other. And I think that's where some of these legislators have drawn the line. It's not okay to tell people that they can't keep their job and be able to feed their families. It's not okay to deny children the right to have an education and fulfill their potential and contribute in society. It is not okay to throw grandma out of the nursing home because she hasn't had a COVID shot. This division is what is really hurt, sticking out for people that they don't want to see it anymore. And well, you know, it goes back on, I think back to 1982, the early 90s, when we were working with Congress on the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act, because the companies were basically blackmailing it, them that they would leave the country without any vaccines if they didn't get liability protection. And uh, I remember we would testify and bring forth parents whose children had died or been brain injured by DPT vaccine. And this whole idea that some children can be sacrificed for the greater good, that some children are expendable. It all comes back to this, this idea that uh, those children, those people who can't handle the process of vaccination are not important, that their lives are not important. And this is where, this was really the genesis of the whole movement, the Vaccine Safety and Informed Consent Movement really was started in the, the modern, I talk about the modern vaccine because 
they were protesting back in the 1800s and early 1900s against smallpox vaccine because of the injuries and deaths from that vaccine. But, but the idea that you're right, we should care about everyone. We should not devalue some lives and say they must be sacrificed in service to the rest. And if you look at this vaccine, and if you look at this vaccine that isn't even preventing infection and transmission, you, right. the argument completely falls apart that you have to force this vaccine. You know, their mandatory mm-hmm. vaccination doesn't even doesn't even it it, it falls on their own premise. Mm-hmm. So and when you look at the number of people that actually got their first dose and compare it to how many people have gone and gotten a booster. So it's not just people who already have had concerns because of their health or they weren't confident in how this vaccine was brought to market or they had other concerns. We have people that a lot of people that have gone and gotten the first dose for themselves or their children and they have just stopped getting it. You know, uh, it, it's. <laughs> People are seeing ill effects and they are concerned. Obviously, if someone were 100% or not, or just really, really strongly assured that a vaccine was safe and effective and the disease was dangerous, it would be kind of a no brainer. But that's not been. We're not all the same. We're not all. I always say we are born equal under the law. But we're not born all the same. We don't all have the same genetics, epigenetics, same kind of microbiome. We grow up in different environments. We're going to, not all of us are going to be able to get through that process of vaccination. So, you know, a lot of people say where there is risk, there must be choice. Absolutely. I mean, it is a very definition of tyranny. In my view, if, if the government forces you to take a product that can injure or kill you, and you have no say in it, you have no right to object to putting your life on the line or your child's life on the line. Not in this, this country. This is, this, this is why the vaccine safety and informed consent movement has grown by leaps and bounds over the last decades because people know, a lot of people are realizing fundamentally it's wrong. It's wrong in our society, well, in any society, I believe, to force people to take a risk that they uh, they could eat a product that could injure or kill them without their consent. Right. That's right. Absolutely. And when you look at all of the people that have been engaging for the first time with their legislators, it's just backing up that point that you just made. I just want to go through a few of the categories of bills because we we took all the bills together and we separated them in categories. The first category, and I've alluded to this already, prohibiting COVID-19 vaccine mandates and passports. We had 14 bills passed just this legislative session that added, uh, it affected 11 states prohibiting COVID-19 vaccines, passports, and mandates. And um, we highlighted in the report all the sections. So one really important thing when you become a user of the NVIC advocacy portal when you log in right at the very top of the home page there's a big red button that says go to my state when you click on that you'll see any current action alerts but you'll see all the bills from the current year an amazing feature that we have that a lot of people don't know about is on the right hand side of the screen there's a little drop down where you could click expired instead of current and it will show you 
all of the bills that we've tracked since NVIC advocacy portal came online in 2010. But we default to showing you this, this session's bills. When you look at the status of the bills on this page, you're going to see which bills died and which ones were enacted. It's worth it to go on there and look because you want to know what new rights you have in your state. And it's right there on the portal. You can see it. This is a free service that we offer. We have amazing, an amazing advocacy team. We work. This is all we do. We look at these bills, we analyze them, we work with you, we work with the legislators, we put this information together, use it, it's there. Uh, we've gotten feedback from a lot of people where they're either their school district or somebody has tried to get their child or themselves to get a COVID-19 vaccine and try and convince them that it was required, but they knew their rights because they followed us on the NBIC advocacy portal and they've learned about the bills that have passed in their states. They've learned about the executive orders that have been written and enacted in order to protect your rights. So the bottom line is we had 11 states gain 14 new bills to stop this, adding to what already was passed last year. And then there was a whole other category of bills that we tracked called prohibiting discrimination over vaccine status for mm -hmm. COVID-19. This is really important because there were some states, even Florida, you know, we think of Florida as one of the freedom states, had a bill passed in special session in 2021. I'm sorry. Yes, in 2021, in uh, October November timeframe of 2021 that per, that made sure that people that didn't want to take a COVID vaccine with their employers, if it was a private employer, that they could claim a type of an exemption. And that was great. It saved a lot of jobs. You know, they did it for your immune status. If you've already had COVID, religious reasons, personal type reasons, medical reasons, if you were pregnant, they listed a whole bunch of reasons why you could cite. And it was fairly easy to execute. There was a piece of paper you could download, turn to your employer. It helped a lot of people save their jobs. But the mm -hmm. day after that bill went into effect, you had a Bank of America office in Jacksonville, Florida, start segregating people by floor based on their COVID vaccine status. There was discrimination. So I, as you're talking to your legislators about some of the protections that you want to see, it's not just enough to prohibit the mandates. It's also to recognize that you can't treat people, you shouldn't be able to treat people differently over their vaccination status because you can make things so miserable for that person, they're not going to be able to keep that job anyway. So um, this category of prohibiting discrimination based on vaccine vaccination status is also very important. And there were eight bills passed in seven states that prohibited different aspects of discrimination. Like we saw, you know, you saw in the national media, sometimes people were denied organ transplants because of their vaccination status, or maybe unemployment benefits. If they didn't get the COVID vaccine and they were fired, they were denied unemployment benefits. So there were bills that were tackling these different aspects of discrimination in our society to try and fix them. And honestly, they were covering a lot of different areas. And I think they were just a function of what problems constituents were bringing to their legislators, and they just wanted to do something about it. So that's another very important uh, category. And there were a whole series of bills also where they didn't go so far as to prohibit the mandates, but they added exemptions 
into law specifically for to guarantee exemptions for COVID-19 mandates. And there were five bills in five states which added or expanded the vaccine exemptions, and it still helped a lot of people. We would prefer them not to be able to mandate the vaccine because it's really important when a state mandates a vaccine, it gives people the impression this is an endorsement by the state that this is the best policy. They're in no place to make that recommendation because like you said, Barb, Every single person is different. They don't know. So our preference would be that they don't mandate. But these mm-hmm. states did actually add some exemptions into state law, like adding a religious exemption and a medical exemption. Uh, Indiana did that. Um, Michigan required community colleges that mandate the COVID vaccine to, um, they did this in a budget bill. It was quite creative. And they made sure that these kids in the community colleges get exemptions. Nebraska required certain employers to allow for medical and religious exemptions for COVID-19. Tennessee and Utah had, you know, some sort of adding exemptions. So, you know, they're they're working, these legislators are wrestling with this. They're trying to see what they can do to get things passed, but they're only going to know that it's a priority if you take the time to communicate with them what your concerns are and how these policies are affecting you and your family. It's so important to take the time and to be respectful and to document things and give them the tool, give them the information they need so that they can use it and bring it up with their colleagues to advocate for bills that are going to protect your rights. That's really what it comes down to. It is. And you know, this, I've heard people say, oh, you know, it's not forced vaccination. Well, it certainly is if you're discriminated against. If you're not able to make a living, you can't be employed. If you can't get an education, that is that is coercion that rises the level of forced vaccination because how are you going to function in society? They're trying to make it so no one can function in society unless they get every federally recommended vaccine. And this is, I think more people understand what this is all about. I call mandatory vaccination the tip of the spear in the culture wars that are going on. I call it the vaccine culture war, but you know, really, are we gonna be able to have autonomy in the United States of America? Are we gonna have any control over what is put into our bodies and the bodies of our children? We can do this. We cannot give up on government. I've heard so many people in the last few years, they're so angry, they're so despondent, and they're, they've given up on government. It is it, government, And our constitution is the only thing that is going to keep us free. But we have to participate, like you say. We have to participate in our government if we're going to have it be the kind of government that we want, that have the laws that we want to govern us. I mean, our founders left us with an amazing structure in the U.S. Constitution. And people cannot give up on it. We can do this if we take action. Absolutely. We absolutely can. And we are and we have been and we're going to continue to do so. Um, I know people they hear about it's just so hard to get legislators to listen. I really want to make it this distinguishing line between state and federal government. The challenges are greater contacting your your U.S. congressman and your two U.S. senators cover a lot more people, there's a lot more staff there. But state legislators, by and large, are more accessible 
and they don't have as the like on the house side they usually don't have as long the terms so they're flipping back between their professions and coming into the legislature quite frequently and you really do have we've seen even one person contacting a legislator pulling down a bad bill or filing a good one depending on the you know the communication that they've had and legislators that have not been open to some of our issues in the past when enough constituents go in and meet with them and talk about how they're being affected they change they are open to change people aren't static don't discount anyone based on how they voted in the past or if they come out with a statement in the media still take the time to educate them plant the seeds because not everybody is able to see this overnight Sometimes it takes a little bit and then there's a straw that breaks the camel's back. Somebody close to them has a reaction. And then, you know, how they how legislators react after that is going to depend a lot on the communications they've had with their constituents and how those communications and conversations have gone. So always be respectful. Always be I sincere. I agree more. How, you know, all relationships at the end of the day, even the professional relationships are personal relationships. Mm-hmm. And how you treat the person that you are trying to convince to care about this issue means everything. If you go in with a hostile, arrogant, confrontational attitude, you're not going to be able to have that conversation that is really going to make a difference in terms of opening up someone's mind. Because the, the propaganda, the inc- incredible lobbying, that has gone on over the last hundred years, really, on the issue of vaccination is huge. It's strong. It's it's embedded in our consciousness here in this country and really in every country. So this is one of the most difficult subjects to educate people about because the the official line, you know, is so it has so many years behind it that you, you're having to have people take a step back and really look at it in a different way. And it's not easy to do. It's why don't take false information into a legislator. Don't take information that is questionable. Try to, MBIC is very careful about the information that we produce. We try mm-hmm. to reference everything, probably over-reference. I, I'm known for you know, the references on my commentaries. Mm-hmm. So, and I know you reference uh, very carefully when you put something out. It's important to be accurate because if a person, if you present information to a person and it is not accurate, they're never going to completely trust you. Right. Right. And that is a huge, you know, it's not going to get you where you want to go. And going back to what we offer on the portal. When you are, remember you on your homepage, you click on go to my state and you're looking at the bills. When you scroll down past the bills, the action alerts, the bills and the announcements, we display on the page who your legislators, your state legislators are. You click on their name, you get their, you, you can get all their social media accounts, you get how to send an email to them, their phone numbers are posted there. And so we give you that information right on the page with the bill information so that you have it right at your fingertips so you can make a phone call or send an email or fill out a web form. And back to about treating them respectfully, your legislators are who they are. You can't control them until election time. 
And so sometimes they might not be very nice to you, True. but take the high road. And because everybody, if you take the high road, use the information. We give you talking points. We give you references to use. You can use that. And we often give you more than you need. And what you can do is just read through and pick the ones that resonate with you. Relate it to your personal story, how this affects you. If you call your legislator's office and say, you know, I want you to support this bill or oppose this bill and give the reasons why based on how it relates to your family and you can offer to follow up with some references or you can send them in an email and include them. That is what legislators are looking for. They don't want form letters. They don't want you clicking on some site somewhere where it's automatically sending them an email speaking for you. Oftentimes, all of those emails go into a folder. They get deleted. They don't pay attention to form email. They really, I've spoken to a lot of staff over the years and a lot of legislators, and they say, if you don't take the time to actually communicate how you feel and put some thought into it where it's personal, They think you don't care about the issue. So, you know, don't think there's this one click here or there is participating. It's not. It's taking the time to actually be sincere. It doesn't have to be long. It just has to be sincere and from you and how this legislation affects you either positively or negatively. And that's what they, that's what the the majority of them, that's what they pay attention to. Many, many years ago when I worked on Capitol Hill in a congressional office, many years ago. Um, I remember how we would get these campaigns that had the same lobbying campaigns that had letters that were all the same wording. And then the person would just put their name in. They went into the circular file. The only letters that were answered that, that we took the time to answer were the ones that came from constituents who actually wrote a personal letter who came or who came in. That's it. I mean, those those form letter things, just like petitions, petitions don't always, you know, work either (laughs) Uh, because it's. That's why we don't do it for you on the portal. We empower you. We give you the information for you to do it. Not because we don't want to do it. It's because this is what works. It's the most effective. It's not quantity. It's quality in state legislatures. It really, really is. Now, just kind of bringing back to us, just summarizing what the types of bills that we covered this year, we had a whole category of improving exemptions that are existing in state law and limiting mandates in areas other than COVID. We also had a few bills uh, that actually prohibited discrimination based on vaccination status for any vaccine, not just COVID. That was exciting to me. Uh, We had one in Florida that prohibited healthcare facilities from from preventing any kind of visitation on inpatients based on vaccination status. You know, the governor even came out with a press conference afterwards where he talked about we shouldn't have people being left alone in the hospital, you know, to die alone. It's terrible. I mean, what happened during COVID and how people were taken away from their loved ones and New Hampshire uh, prohibits using parents' decisions not to vaccinate based on um, for in evidence in any kind of legal proceeding to terminate parental rights. Because obviously it makes sense if you're going to let a parent exempt out, this should not be used against them 
the choices that they're making for their child in a parental rights custody case. So really good uh, in, uh, prohibition of discrimination bills. We also um, have, have the area of emergency powers language. And I think a lot of people are gonna be looking at this in the years to come to see how those laws need to be tightened up. They might not be very vaccine specific, but since governors can issue orders, it's an area that people need to look at. Maybe some of that language needs to be tightened up. And then vaccine tracking, huge issue. Knowledge is power. And when the government knows what, when, and where you've been vaccinated or not, that's where they can, you know, make things difficult for you to try and get you to comply. And one of my favorite bills that passed this session that I wanted to highlight was New Hampshire House Bill 1606. This requires individuals to opt in to a vaccine tracking system to be able to have their child included in the tracking system. If you know you're you don't know what to contact your legislators about to make sure that they there's a law that's changed in your state, reach out to them and ask them to make the current vaccine tracking system an opt-in system instead of opt-out. There's only two states that are currently opt-ins, Texas and Montana, and uh, every other state, you've got some work to do. So you don't want you don't want the state tagging, tracking, and identifying you and being able to use that information in the future to try and coerce you uh, by placing societal sanctions or penalties or punishments based on vaccination status. And we came really close to that during the COVID pandemic. And while the issue was recognized with these bills that prohibit vaccine passports for COVID, the reality is vaccine tracking systems are basically almost like a passport system. And so let's make sure that you're not in there unless you actually want to be. Well, we've been opposing vaccine tracking systems, electronic tracking systems since the 1990s at NBIC. And I submitted public comment. I mean, a lot of people don't understand the history of electronic vaccine tracking systems. They're really part of the electronic medical records tracking systems, the electronic health records tracking systems. And they're very dangerous because while they started out in the early 90s as city-based, there were, I think, were 10 cities that they started in. Uh, they eventually morphed in the state, and the whole plan has always been to hook up all of the electronic records of all citizens to a federal uh, tracking system. And the ultimate plan is a global tracking system uh, of all people in the world. I mean, they, they planned this decades ago. And uh, in fact, working on data sets and, 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 and having standardized ways of electronically capturing data. And Americans, you know, most Americans aren't involved in, in, in this legislation that's passed at the federal and state levels. I mean, this what we're doing is really one of the most visible efforts to have people get engaged in vaccine lawmaking processes. So uh, a lot of this federal legislation that set up these tracking systems many years ago uh, is there's a huge, huge, huge infrastructure. So to try to turn this around and, and have opt-in is a big job. Yep. I know personally for me, when I first got involved in this issue, I testified for the first time in 1997. Mm -hmm. um, and this was something that I was concerned about, the state tracking system. And we were yeah. able to get a system that was on track to be a forced mandatory inclusion system 
into one of the more protective in opt-in systems. And people don't understand the difference between opting in and opting out. They think they have rights when they're opting out. Opting out is assumed consent. And the way that the federal laws for HIPAA, which allows for unconsented disclosures of information if it relates to public health and disease prevention, once you go in there, it's out there. It goes. Other agencies, other entities have access to that data. It's kind of like you know, tell when you tell your kids, don't put anything on social media that you don't want out there forever. If you delete it, it doesn't matter. It's captured somewhere. If you go into a vaccine tracking system, even, and then you figure out you're in there and you opt out and get your information removed. Number one, most states don't remove it from the system. They just stop sharing. So that's not even a thing. Then the second thing is that it, it gets shared before you even have a chance to ever get it back. And why is this an issue? Well, with COVID, a lot of people don't know the CDC snuck a provision in the contracts with the vaccine administrators that required any time they gave a COVID vaccine, it had to be either uploaded to the state tracking system or sent directly to the CDC within 24 hours. So they put that in the contracts. They got around state law by putting these in the contracts and having it go directly to these tracking systems and they put in a penalty of either jail time or civil penalties, financial penalties, if the administrators didn't comply. So I'm sorry to say, but every single person who has gotten a COVID vaccine, you've been tracked. And we're Absolutely. trying to- Absolutely, just like every person who's been tested. You know, uh, I, I HIPAA, Passed in the 90s was one of the biggest scams ever. That was it was passed under the idea that this would be privacy protection, medical privacy protection. It was the complete opposite. Mm -hmm. Try to have a family member try to get your medical records. Uh -huh. Shared yeah. with companies, with uh researchers, with you know, huge exceptions in terms of who the, the government can share them with. Yeah. Or doctors can share the information. Yeah. So um, the last two areas that I wanted to bring up, and we don't have, this is not something that's going to be necessarily visible to the public, but there were a lot of bills that started off really badly that through our efforts in educating our followers and then educating your legislators, a lot of this offensive language was removed. So bills may have passed that started off something that we would be opposed to that ended up completely changing. For instance, there was the Connecticut bill, Senate Bill 457. What it originally did was it expanded the vaccine tracking registry and it mandated that people of all ages be included in it. So not just children, but we did an action alert. People were contacting committee members and as amended, all of that language was taken out and it all it ended up doing was removing the expiration date for a medical assistance education requirements. <laughs> Had nothing to do with it. They realized they weren't going to get this passed with all the opposition. So we have, we have, you all have had with us an impact on crisis averted with some of these bad bills by getting them changed. And so that's happened. It happened with some bills in California. And, you know, so I just want to point out that your efforts, even if you don't necessarily see it sometimes, you're still making a difference with changing the language. So the offensive or bad language is removed or a bill that's kind of neutral. Maybe we get something that's protective amended on as well. So the, the, that's why it's really important to stay, to register on the portal NVIC 
stateadvocacy.org and to look on the portal under your state, click on your state and see what's happening because there's opportunities that present itself during the legislative session to still affect the end result of a bill as we have with many bills this session. So yeah. and the last category that I wanted to talk about were the bills that passed that we opposed, just so you can be aware of where gain uh, the ground was gained, contrary to where our mission is. Um, California passed a bill, Senate Bill 1419, that prohibits parents from accessing the vaccination records of their minor children for any vaccine in which California allows a minor child to consent. Right now, that's the HPV vaccine and the hepatitis B vaccine. It almost, you know, was all the vaccines, but sent, luckily Senate Bill 866 did not pass. But right now they are concealing information um, from parents, and that's dangerous. And there are several other bills, um, a total of, let's see, um, of the 186 bills that we opposed, all but 18 were killed. Only 18 passed. That's amazing. And I just want to point out that we, in, in the report, we have these graphs over the years of where things were uh, with bills. And what's interesting is going back and looking at, um, like, uh, in in previous in previous years the number of bills that we oppose that passed has stayed relatively stable, even though the number of bills that have been filed have gone way up. So it's pretty impressive that we really held down the uh, bad bills from passing over the years. So only 18 of these, you'll get the report, you'll, you know, you can click on it after, you know, after you watch this video, you can see it below, um, it'll be posted and really look and see what types of bills have passed so that you can get an idea for what you can talk to your legislators about. Well, it's an amazing report and um, people need to go and read it, uh, download it, uh, refer to it, get information on the portal, become a user. It's free of the portal. Get active in your states. Look at the information we have on mbic.org. We have brochures, we have posters, we have special reports, all referenced that you can use when you go in to your state legislator. So Don, congratulations for another Thank incredible you. job uh, this year. Uh, so focused, uh, single-minded focus on on, on trying to protect our freedom to make vaccine choices in this country. It's a, it's a noble effort, I believe. And I think it's one that is going to, in the future, become more and more important. Thank you so much, Barbara. And thank you to everybody out there that has been following. There are already people who are signed up. If you have not registered yet, register at nbicadvocacy.org. You can sign up and you can access the portal anytime. And if there's a real critical issue, we will send out an email. You'll get an email in your inbox with instructions of either a hearing or a critical floor vote, or uh, maybe a message to ask the governor to sign or veto a bill. And you'll get that in your inbox when it's real critical. But we have, we keep the information, we update the portal every single day. We have dedicated staff that are trained to read the legislation and follow it and uh, get that information to you so that it's 
at your fingertips and it's quick and but you know freedom isn't free <laughs> there's other forces out there whose powers positions and profits are dependent on this forced vaccination agenda and they have a lot more money um, than we do but we have the truth behind us and you're part of that and don't underestimate the power of your voice in making sure that your rights stay protected amen thank you don Thank you, Barbara. Take care. And everybody, please read the report. Follow nbic.org, nbicadvocacy.org. And, uh, you know, if you can make a small contribution, anything helps. We, we need your support to be able to keep this work going. Thank you. Before you take a risk, find out what it is. To learn more about vaccines, diseases, and the human right to informed consent, Visit mbic.org, the website of the nonprofit charity, the National Vaccine Information Center. Since 1982, MVIC has worked to prevent vaccine injuries and deaths through public education and to secure informed consent protections in U.S. vaccine policies and laws. Visit mbic.org and mbicadvocacy.org to get well-referenced vaccine information that you can trust and share with your family, friends, and members of your community. It's your health, your family, your choice.